My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. But I'm gonna just op- we're gonna open up the text today. Uh, we're gonna go to Acts nine. I'm gonna we're gonna talk about Saul becoming Paul, his his road on the road to Damascus, and uh, I'm just gonna tell you from here on out because I you know like to mix up my words and use improper grammar and all kinds of things, and I just own it, you know. Um, but if I say Saul, then I mean Paul as well, and if I say Paul, I might mean Saul. So just follow along. It's the same guy. It doesn't change. Um, the Lord knows the intentions of my heart, all right? It's been, a, it's been a rough day going back and forth between the two, okay? All right, so let's open this up. Let's go to Acts 9, verse 1, and let's read this. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest, requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem and change. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can speak again, so he can see again. Speaking would be good too. Um, But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings as well as the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. Let's pray. Father... 
you know, all of us have a different story we're coming in here with. Different hurts, different pains, different moments of joy. And uh, Lord, it's just, it's led us to this moment right here. And, and the reality is, is I, I believe just as you met Saul on that road that you just want to meet some of us here tonight. I know there's so many things going on and we may have been coming to church for a while now and been doing this thing, but I believe that tonight you want to meet some people in a way that only you can, Lord. And uh, I, just, I just pray tonight would be the night that we stop stuffing things down and stop avoiding the hard stuff, but that we would just surrender and we would let go. And we realize it's not about how good we are, but it's about how great you are, God. And so just meet us in the space tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. There was a time when I uh, didn't know everything. <laughs> Wasn't that long ago. And uh, I'm still learning, you know, 29 now, I'm getting, getting up there. Um, it's my last year in my 20s. Um, and so, uh, where was I going with this? Anyways, I just wanted to brag, I guess. Um, no, <laughs> no, um, no, but uh, about six years ago, I uh, had this opportunity, um, kind of very similar to Israel in the sense of how God worked in my life and brought me up through the Connect, Grow, Serve lead pathway here at Sunrise. And uh, I, w- I, was bar- I was pretty new to the faith. And my father-in-law, is, as Israel already mentioned, his name is Eric Schmidt. And so I had the privilege and honor of just um, be- growing up underneath him, having him mentor me in my communicating and just what it means to follow Jesus. And so one of the things back in the day is Eric was the campus pastor at Beaverton before it became Cornelius. And so there'd always be a few opportunities Eric, just to kind of help me, you know, because uh, he saw something that I didn't see, you know, and so he's like, hey, I think you should just like share, share a word tonight or this morning and close it, close the service down or open the service up. Just a, just a small two minute devotion type thing. Um, nothing, nothing too much just to compliment the message or whatever God's laid on your heart. And so, man, I took these moments pretty serious. You know, when you're young, you get this opportunity. You're like, man, I, re- I really, you know, I feel like God has laid a message on my heart. And so there's this one morning about, and like I said, it was about six years ago, maybe less than that. And uh, I, I, I have this passage on my heart and I'm ready to share it. And it's this one right here that we're talking about tonight. And as I get up to share it, um, you know, there's this awkward thing in church where it's like you come across some passages where you don't know how to pronounce names or don't know how to um, say certain things. And so as a young um, gun, I go up there and I I start reading through the passage. It's a pretty simple one, not too many hard words in there. That's like, those are the ones I sign up to read out loud. But uh, I I forgot to check on one of the names in the passage and it was the name Ananias. And so I get to the word Ananias and I'm, and I'm, I'm just feeling it. I'm going boldly and, and rule like 101 when it comes to preaching, speaking, anything, even if you don't know it, act like you do, all right? Do it with confidence, all right? So I get up there and I boldly go, Ananias, and I just, and I just claim it, you know? I just, I roll with it, Ananias this, Ananias that, we all need to be Ananias, you know, just rolling. I mean, it sounds good to me, 
right? And here's the best part about it. You know, I, I have no idea at this point. I'm, I'm feeling confident. I'm feeling good. And, you know, Eric gives his classic, you know, probably the thumbs up with a wink and a smile, like, good job. And so I'm thinking, man, this is great. Awesome. As a young, young communicator, you need lots of affirmation. Otherwise, you might never step up here again. And uh, so, I, so I feel good. And then all of a sudden, this guy comes up to me after the fact, and he, he does the we're, we did one-on-one, so now we're in two-on-one on how to give advice and critical um, feedback. And so he basically comes up to me and he gives me a compliment. Whenever you're going to give critical feedback, always give a compliment first. It softens the blow. But it tells him what's coming, too. Um, and so he, I'm sure he gives me a compliment. I can't remember what, because all I remember him coming up to me. He goes, hey, by the way, it's pronounced Ananias. And I go, oh. And... Uh, you know, today, there's, there's ways around this, and uh, you can just download the Bible app, and it'll actually, you can put it on audio, and so when you get to those names you don't know, you just, just hit play on there, and it'll just read it to you. It's super simple. That's how it always looks like I know what I'm talking about up here, all right? Like, you guys just need to understand, it's, I'm not, I've just uh, listened to the Bible app, and that's why I know. Some of you guys are like, yeah, I didn't know that name, Ananias. Yeah, well, neither did I six years ago. It's okay. We're in this together, all right? And so uh, humbled, humiliated, lots of things. The truth is, a lot of people didn't even probably know how to pronounce the name, and I'm the one who had to be humbled. And so, uh, which brings up the question, I'm going, have you ever been wrong before? You know, you ever been wrong? No, no, you've never been wrong. Yeah, that's good. Husbands, raise your hand. I know this one well. Married for five years, you just raise that hand. Maybe raise both hands. Maybe praise the Lord with all that, right? If you're, if, you, if you're dating someone and planning to get married, man, raise your hand, all right? Seriously, this is, this is a good opportunity to earn points, all right? It's all about earning points. <laughs> and so uh, there's two responses when you're wrong. And uh, one of them is to just own it and admit it. That's the humble way. That's the way of probably Jesus. And then there's also the second way, which is what I prefer. Keep digging. Just keep digging that hole. Don't, you know, so like yesterday, my wife and I, you know, the ice cream got left out last night, which you know is a big no-no. And uh, I was the one who left it out. Totally my fault. But I just, I'm just willing to challenge because that's who I am. You know, it's like, I know I'm wrong, but I'm going to continue to push on my pregnant wife that she left it out. Yeah, I know. You guys see how that story ends already. I know. It's just my wife knows that I'm joking, but I, you know, I just got to push a little bit. I was in it with my mother-in-law last night, too. She's telling me what kind of knobs need to go on my dresser. And I'm like, no, they're these knobs versus these knobs, Eric. I'm telling you, I probably should apologize later. <laughs> um, and so, uh, and so we, we have these moments that we choose, right? And, so, and, and it reminds us of all those funny ones, all those bad ones. But we also have these moments in our lives where it's a situation. It's, dis, it's discerning a situation, and we can be wrong or right in that. And so sometimes it's for us, it might show up in the fact that, like, we thought our marriage was going well. We thought everything was kind of smooth sailing. Yeah, there were some spots where we could be better, but you think it's going well only to find out you're wrong. That it's not going well. That, that it's really ending, that things are coming to an end, and, or if you don't turn it around now, you might not have a marriage you know, and some of us have that with our kids, right? It's like, man, we think everything's going well. You know, they seem to be going to school, going to classes, have friends. And then all of a sudden we find out they're failing a class or that they're hiding something from us. We come across it. You know, and then there's some of us who are like, we look at all of our relationships and we kind of go, 
did I say something to offend them? Did I, did, are we okay? You know, we're like worried that everything's like wrong in all of our relationships. And so we go around saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Only to realize that everything's okay. Just breathe. We all have these moments. We all have moments in our lives where we think everything's going good. I mean, we're, maybe it's just as simple as finances. You like, you think it's going well. You're spending money. You got somewhat of a budget, maybe. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, there's now more money in the account. I was wrong. And then it's, it kind of translates even bigger over to our understanding of who God is. Some of us, you know, we talk in church about taking big steps of faith, like just jumping out there, like, man, God's calling you, go. And so what we do is we get all excited and we're like, all right, I'm praying, I'm praying. I feel like God is, God's telling me to make this jump. And we jump only to feel like God never caught us on the other side. Or maybe there's a direction, there's a choice, there's a fork in the road. You can go this way, you can go this way. Maybe there's three ways you can go. And so you're praying and you're discerning and you're, you're going, Lord, just guide me, lead me, show me where to go. And so you pick a direction and three months down the road, it's a dead end. And you're like, was I wrong? And that's where we kind of enter in with Saul today. He's on the road He's, he's persecuting followers of the way. People are proclaiming Jesus to be their Lord and Savior and his death and resurrection to be their saving foundation. And he's like, man, we can't have this. And so he's on his way to Damascus only to encounter Jesus and realize everything he's ever believed is wrong. Everything that he grew up thinking, everything that he thought he had to do, wrong. And the reason we see this and understand this is because it tells us that Saul is a Pharisee. And so to understand the importance of a Pharisee in the biblical context, we need to go all the way back to when the law was given. And so we go back to the Old Testament, and I'm not going to talk about all the 613 commands that are in there, but I want to talk about four reasons why the law was given and why it matters to Saul today in the story. And so the first reason in here is it, the law was given for their own good. 16 and, 16, 613 commands. It says, and you must always obey the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. The law was for our good. We have laws today. We got speed limits. It's for our own good. So there's no reckless driving. So we don't break rules. So we don't hurt people. I mean, the laws are there for a reason. We may not always agree with them, but they're, they're generally there for our own good. That's why there were 613 commands. They were there for the nation of Israel's own good. And then we get to reason number two, and it says that he wanted to reveal himself as holy. It says, the Lord also said to Moses, give the following instructions to the entire community of Israel. You must be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Which leads us into point number three. It says he wants to set his people apart, set them apart. If you obey the commands of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, the Lord will establish you as his holy people as he swore he would do. Then all the nations of the world will see that you are people claimed by the Lord and they will stand in awe of you. He's basically saying, hey, by following my commands, you're going to reveal to people who I am. And they're going to realize that I'm holy and they're going to realize that you are holy. By doing this. And so people, God is going to be revealed through his people and the obedience to him. And then we get to point number four. And this is where we're going to sit today. Is the law was given to reveal their sin. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing the law, what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. 
And so if we kind of look at why the law was given and then we continue through the history of Israel, we understand that there was a pattern that started to take place. And this pattern basically ended up with the law was given, right? And the first thing that Israel would do was disobey the law. They wouldn't keep it. Which then second led to their punishment or their, their basically the consequences of their sin they would be experiencing. And after experiencing the consequences, we would get to the third thing that would happen is they would cry back out to God saying, save us. And then the fourth thing is God would restore them. And so we see this cycle play itself out throughout the Old Testament of disobedience, consequences, crying out to God and then being restored. And eventually we see this happen to the point where in their disobedience, God raises up foreign nations, foreign kingdoms. And basically our nation, Israel, is uh, taken into captivity, into exile. And so eventually as they're taken over, as they become slaves to other people, they're eventually allowed back into their promised land that God gave them. And as they enter back into the promised land, we see this, just this general idea that the Pharisees are born. This is where the Pharisees come about. And where the Pharisees look at this, they go, hey, all right, disobedience is what got us exiled. It's what got us in the captivity. So we didn't obey the law. Therefore, us being scribes of the law, we're, we're going to interpret the law. We're going to hold the law in high regard and we're going to worship the law. Because if we do, if we obey the law, we don't got to go back there. And we're going to do anything we can to not go back there. Because that was bad. And so you have these Pharisees who come in who are kind of painted as evil people in the New Testament. I mean, they're kind of against Jesus, so we understand that, right? But the reality is if we see their intentions and where they came from and what's going on is that they actually had good intentions. They're saying, hey, let's hold the law in high regard. And so Pharisees were looked up to in the community as purest, elitist when it came to following the law. Also, what the Pharisees would do is they would sit there and they go, all right, here's the law. Let's build fences around it of rules so we can't even get close to breaking the law. So, for instance, if we were to say, hey, keep the Sabbath holy, basically saying, hey, let's not work on Sunday. Well, what classifies work? And so they would start adding things. Well, you can only walk so far. Well, you can only do the, all these extra things that weren't in the law, but were to ensure that the law would not be broken. And so we think it's bad when we get to the New Testament and we see them and it's like, oh man, the Pharisees. It's like, but the tensions of what the Pharisees were doing was not so bad. They were saying, hey, we understand. We want to follow what God has commanded us to do. And so we enter back into the story with this culture of rules and regulations. And we have Saul and he's on his way to Damascus. And he's like, dude, there's followers of the way going on. And I got to go get these people in chains and bring them back. I need to kill them. I need to get rid of this. Because the reality is if someone's proclaiming faith in Jesus Christ, that means they're diluting the power of the law. Because the law says you got to do this, 613 different commands. And, and if you live up to that, then you're good enough. But Jesus says, no, put your faith in me. Put your faith in the death and resurrection of me. And I have lived the righteous life. And I wasn't good enough. And so all of a sudden you can see that's where we find Saul in this story. is He's, he's trying to basically execute the masses, right? Get rid of this movement of the gospel. And you can't stop it. Because that's what the gospel does. It's, it's, no one can stop what the gospel is going to do. But Saul, we find him in the story, he's like, i got to stop this because it's blasphemous to what we're doing. 
And so as we see this play itself out in this story, we enter in, and I just want to sit in this spot for a moment where Saul has a supernatural encounter. He encounters Jesus on the road, realizes he's persecuting uh, Jesus. He's persecuting the church. Therefore, he's working against God. He, he gets blind. He's led into the town of Damascus. He sits there in a room, basically, and he's fasting. He's not eating. He's not drinking. and He can no longer see. And so if we look at this verse and we just see this here, it says he remained there blind for three days, 72 hours, right? He's sitting there. And, and a lot of us will, if we know the story, we read through this, we're like, yeah, the Saul story, man, he becomes that. But, but I want to sit here for a moment because the reality is, is that so many of us in this room have been right here. Like this is the spot we've been in. That when Jesus comes into your life, You kind of sit in this spot where everything you've ever believed kind of comes crumbling down around you. Everything Saul had built his life on, everything, following the law, being good enough, reciting the law, remembering the law, his whole culture is coming crumbling down in a sense. Because that's how he was raised to live. And so we see this happening, and Saul, just imagine he's there, he can't see, he's blind. I mean, he's gone, man, what now? My whole life was about being good enough. And now I've been told that the way I've been doing life is not the right way. That there's, that there's Jesus and he's real and he met me on the road. And then we sit there even more in this moment and it's like, think about the thoughts that are going through his head. Does God still love me? Man, I've been, I've been persecuting his people. Will I see again? Will I see my friends? Will I see the sunrise? Well, you know, it's like when we all get in seasons where, where God really messes up our lives. And well, I say messes up our lives, but he allows our lives to be disoriented. And we sit there and we go, man, I just want things to go back to the way they were. And you can imagine that Saul's sitting there and just going, I wonder if things are ever going to go back. But when God enters in, when God comes into these moments of our lives and he disorients everything that's going on, We know that nothing goes back to the way it was. It only gets better. It only gets better. But in the moment, it feels like everything is lost. 72 hours of not knowing what's next, of asking questions, of doubting your identity, of saying, man, I I don't even know where I'm going to go from here because I've lived my whole life in this direction. Saul would sits there and has believed his entire life that his relationship with God is dependent on how well he can follow the law. It's performance-based. And that leaves us with the question, is is our life performance-based as well? Is our life based off our performance? And some of us are like, "Ah, what's what's that mean? Do you feel like you're good enough? Good enough for what? Well, good enough for just about anything. How about that? Do you feel like you're good enough, mother? You know, you're, maybe you're, you're at work and you're, you're having to put, pay the bills and, and do what it takes to make sure your kids have the right upbringing and are taken care of and, and, and that there's food on the table and that they're going to school. And so you, but you miss out on moments because maybe you're not as home as you'd like. And so you're like, man, I, I don't know if I'm being a good enough mom. Or maybe, maybe you're the mom who is staying at home and, and you're taking care of the kids and you're loving on them, and, and, but you kind of feel maybe like you don't have any value to add since your paycheck isn't that much. 
maybe you're the dad and you, you're cranking out the hours at home and you're at work and you're doing what you can and you're trying to raise your kids in the word and you're not sure if it's working. You're not sure if they're actually catching it. You're not sure if you should be home more. You're not sure when the decision comes to go to their practice and to drop them off if you should stay or if you should go or where you should be. Maybe you're a kid and you sit in the situation, as I tell the students, and it's like, man, there's moments where you just don't feel good enough. You're like, you're unsure, does, do my parents love me? What do I got to do to get that affirmation? What do I got to do to get that approval, to, tell them, to hear them say, hey, I'm proud of you just the way you are? Because your kids need to hear that. Or maybe you're a brother or a sister or a grandparent, and you're not sure if you're living up to that role well. You're not sure if you're loving well. You're not sure if you're good enough just as you are because we're looking at a world around us and comparing everything. Maybe you just look at your job and you're like, man, I don't even even know if I'm good enough to be at my job. I don't know if I'm putting in enough hours. The people around me seem to be getting promoted and I'm just staying still. We just keep asking ourselves, am I good enough? And this, this, this question that we ask, the reason we ask it is because that's what culture pushes at us. That's what society says. Man, we, we, we look at commercials and ads and everything, and it's basically telling us, it's saying, hey, you need this. But let me pull it apart a little bit for you. Because you can look, there's a commercial, you know, around the Christmas time, the family's sitting around the tree, they're having a great time, the parents are together, the kids are there, they're all happy, they're having this moment, they're just so, and just loving the moment, they're just there, and we're like, man, that's, that's what a family looks like, that's what I want, that's what I desire, that's, that's it, and then all of a sudden it shows us a phone, and it's like, you can have these moments forever if you take a picture with this phone because it's got the best angle lens and all this stuff, right? And we're like, great and all. Man, now I need the phone. But no, 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 no. Hear me out. It's not about the phone. It's about that moment. And culture's telling us, you want to be successful? You want to be a good enough family? You want to be the mother you need to be? You want to be the father? You want to be the kid? You want... Then you need moments like that. And if you don't have those moments, well, then are you really good enough? And then we get to just any kind of apparel, any kind of clothing, anything out there. And they're always using the, the most skinniest person with the biggest biceps. And, there's, and they've got all their, you know, Photoshop stuff going on. And we see all that and we're like, why well, can't look like that? Am I good enough? But if you buy their apparel, if you do this, if you look this way then everyone's going to want to be your friend. And not only is everyone going to be one your, your friend, but everyone's going to lust after you at the same time. And so we're like, well, I don't know if I'm good enough. And my favorite's the car commercials. It's like, dude, we're going to go to the mountain, just the two of us. And we're going to go up there and have a great time. And it's going to be awesome. And the car's going to drive perfectly up through the snow and through the gravel roads. And then we're going to go to the desert. And we're going to swim at the lake. And we're going to have this amazing experience. Because flat tires don't happen. Because cars never break down. It's not about the car, but it's about the experience. And so some of us start looking at it and go, well, we never go on trips. Well, we never go any places. And it's showing your kids that. And all of a sudden it's like, they're looking on Facebook. They're looking on Instagram. They're seeing everything. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, maybe we're not doing enough. Like, if we just, if we just did more of that, 
maybe we'd be a better family. Maybe I'd be worthy. Maybe they would love me. And we start filling in these blanks because culture starts making us compare. And then the worst thing that happens in all this is this is what culture pushes down us. And then what we do is we go, we take this idea of good enough and we approach God with it as well. And we say, okay, God, I'll get my act together. I'll, I'll come into church, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clean a few things up. I'm going to pray first. I'm going to open up my Bible, blow the dust off it. Or I'm going to do a couple of these things first. And we approach God with these man-made ideas. And if I'm so honest with you, I, I sat about a week ago with my wife on a Saturday night. And I was just sitting there. And I just, one of the things that I'm trying to grow in in this season is putting words to things. Um, because I'm always thinking a lot. But being able to put words to it really helps me helps my wife helps us communicate and so one of the things that I, I was telling her about a week ago is I'm going hey I just don't feel good enough like I don't I, I know I know what culture says I know what society is put I know what I, I get it I understand the message it's trying to tell me that I'm not good enough but I'm not talking about just up here I'm talking about right here like in my soul I'm like man I I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm good enough to do this. Like, what if I fail? What if I mess up? What if I, what if for some reason I blow it big? You know, and and those are the fears that sit back there in my mind. And, and I'm telling her, it's like, I don't know if I feel, I don't feel good enough as a husband. I said, I don't feel good enough as a pastor. And then I think about my wife's pregnant now and I'm going to bring a baby girl into this world. And it's like, man, Am I good enough to be a dad? Because that's a whole different thing, right? And so you just, we start questioning ourselves. We all do it. You're not the only one. We're all doing this together. And we're asking that question. It's like, am I good enough? Do I have what it takes? And then we take that to God. And then you know what? Things haven't changed at all since 2,000 years ago. Because Paul wants to tell us, he's like, hey, hey, if there was anyone that was good enough, it was me. It was me. And so we see this in Philippians. He writes this to the church of Philippi. He says, it's true that I once relied on all that I had become. I had reason to boast and impress people with my accomplishments more than others, for my pedigree was impeccable. I was born a true Hebrew of the heritage of Israel as the son of Jewish man from the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised on eight days after my birth and was raised in the strict tradition of Orthodox Judaism, living a separated and devout life as a Pharisee. And, I, and concerning the righteousness of the Torah, no one surpassed me. I was without a peer. Furthermore, as a fiery defender of the truth, I persecuted the Messianic believers with religious zeal. A lot of us look at that just today and we go, that's cool, man. Circumcised on the eighth day, that's pretty intimate, Paul. Thanks for sharing some vulnerable details of your life. But when we look at that and we go back to the first century and we understand what Paul is saying here, there's so much in here. There's so much going on in here. He's going, hey, I was circumcised on the eighth day, which meant that was to the T of the law. He was a certified Jew according to the law. Man, he goes, man, I was, I was born of Hebrew parents, which means he spoke Hebrew, he spoke Aramaic, which showed his loyalty to Israel. And then there was a moment when the, when, when the kingdoms, when, when it became two kingdoms and they split and 10 tribes went north to, to Israel and two tribes stayed south. 
in Judah. And one of those tribes that stayed in the promised land was the tribe of Benjamin, which showed prestige, which showed, man, if you belong to Benjamin, man, that's a, that's a big deal. And then he goes, the law? He's like, dude, I mastered the law. I was so mature in the law. I, could, I knew all 613 commands. I knew all the extra oral commands that were on top of that. I could command the law any way I wanted to. And not only that, I followed the law. If there's anyone that was good enough, it was me. If there's anyone who could boast, it was me. And we take that today and we go, man, I went to Stanford. I got straight A's. I was the valedictorian. I got the best job. I got the greatest house. I've got a car in the driveway. My family's perfect. I've lived a good life. I haven't hurt anyone along the way. I've done nothing but make friends and been perfect. And But Paul continues to go on and he shares this with us. He's like, you can, you can boast about that. With the next slide. He says, yet all of my accomplishments that I once took credit for I've now forsaken them, and I regard it all as nothing compared to the delight of experiencing Jesus Christ as my Lord. To truly know him meant letting go of everything from my past and throwing all my boasting on the garbage heap. It's all like a pile of manure to me now, so that I may be enriched in the reality of knowing Jesus Christ and embrace him as the Lord in all of his greatness. My passion is to be consumed with him and not clinging to my own righteousness based on in keeping the written law, my righteousness will be his based on the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, the very righteousness that comes from God. Paul goes, stop striving. Stop trying to be perfect. Stop aiming for this life. Stop trying to do what you think you've got to be or this image that you've got to live up to. He's like, you really you really want to experience God and know God, just surrender. Just surrender. And, and, the, and the trickiest and toughest part about all of it is so many of us, we walk into this church day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, and we believe this lie that says we're not good enough. And we come in here and we're like, okay, what do I need to do to be good enough? And so we go, okay, God, my marriage is in the rocks. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Okay, I'm just going to pray to you every day. If I just start praying every single day, if I do my part, you'll do your part. Great discipline, but you can't earn the favor of God. You can't do anything. And we go, okay, God, well, fine. I'm going to spend an hour with you every morning and I'm going to just be devoted to my time with you. And then you're going to provide that job that I need that my family's been desperate for. And then we keep going, we're like, okay, and then I'm gonna get my devotion in. I'm gonna never miss my devotion. And when I never miss that, then you are gonna heal my marriage in the way that I need it to be healed. But I'm doing my part, God. And then we start approaching him with things and we're going, okay, if I do this, then you'll heal me of my mental health. You'll heal me of addiction. You'll show up here. Like, but I'm going to do my part, God. I got to do my part. I got I to gotta so change some things up. I got to get rid of some bad habits. I got to clean up here. And so we start approaching God in this way. Even though we've been coming around here for a while. Even though we've been doing this thing called church. What we do is we start coming in and doing behavior modification. Because we know that a certain image is accepted and promoted within these walls. But that's not church. Church is understanding this. That when we were eating it big. 
God was pursuing us. Give him the next slide here. It says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. You know, we keep thinking this idea that if I have enough devotion, if I have enough discipline, if I just do all this, God will show up. But I'm here to tell you that he already did. When you were biffing it, when you were running away from him, when you were throwing your marriage away, when you were doing drugs, when you were caught in addiction, when you could want nothing to do with God, he was sprinting towards you. He said, man, I I can't stand to be separated from you. I want nothing but to spend forever with you. He goes, I know you can't live up to the law. I know you can't do it. I know you can't live a perfect life. And that's not what this is about. What it's about is surrender. It's about knowing me, being in a relationship with me. He's like, when you were still a sinner, I sent my son. When you approach me with being good enough, I approach you in your weakness. Because you are human, so I'll send my son as well to be human. Fully God. We start getting this idea that we can earn our way into religion and rules. And we're like, oh, but that's the Pharisees, Taylor. No, 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 no. We're still doing it today. We're still walking in here with behavior modification. We're still walking in here putting on an image because the culture's telling us something and we bring culture into these walls when these walls need to take the good news, the gospel, come as you are. Jesus will show up. Jesus has already done it. Jesus' righteousness is the only thing you need. His faithfulness. And we need to go to culture with it because that's the best message there is. And so we're talking today about the gospel going to the Pharisee, but if I can be so honest with all of you today, man, we're all the Pharisee. We're all trying to earn our way to God. And so I just want to close with one last, one last slide here. It says, instantly something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. He got up and was baptized. You know, I, uh, sometimes I get in this, Sometimes you get in this place with God where you you read the scripture and you're like, man, that looks really cool, God, but do you still do that today? Do you still show up? Do Do you do those things? I read about it. I get it. It's here, but it's not always traveling here. And and I'm looking at this today and this morning and I'm praying that and I'm just going, God, do I believe that? Because I think we all got scales in our eyes. I think all of us in here do. And so I just want to provide an opportunity for two responses tonight. Two responses where God can just touch you and those scales will drop. And so I'm gonna have you close your eyes, bow your heads, and this is just a moment. And so this first response is for those of you who have never surrendered your life to Jesus. You've been coming around, you've been kind of walking in the door a little bit, checking things out and, uh, And Jesus is calling you and you're like, man, I I gotta surrender my life. I gotta put my faith in him. I need his righteousness, not my inability to follow the law. And so if that's you tonight and you need to put your faith in Jesus, I'm just asking you just, just the moment here, eyes closed, head down. I'm just gonna ask you to pray these words, simple as this, I surrender. I surrender, just say those words. God knows what you're saying. 
I believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus. I surrender. That's all you gotta say. You don't gotta earn it. You don't gotta do anything. That's it. That's all you need. And then for some of us in the room, and this is, maybe you've already surrendered your life to Christ and you've had this moment where you've, you've been following Jesus and there was a moment where you're on fire and you, and you were consumed with him and you're spending moments with him. And, but somewhere along the line, it became a duty, it became a law to live to, an image to perform and to show people. And you're trying to be good enough in a world that says you'll never be good enough. And so if that's you tonight and you're like, man, I just, I need the scales of performance to fall from my eyes tonight. I need the scales of being good enough to fall from my eyes tonight. I need, I need something real in the depths of my soul. I need to be reoriented towards God and that I'm enough because of Christ's faithfulness. That's you. I just want you to say, I surrender. I surrender. That's me right here in this moment. That's me. God, I surrender. Father, you know where we're at tonight. You know what we're doing in this room, in this space. You know where the season is. You know if we're trying to run from you. You know what we're trying to stuff down and we don't want to bring up. But God, if you are moving in an area, I say we got to surrender it to you. And so, Lord, some of us, man, we're, we're giving our lives to you the, for the first time tonight. We're surrendering for the first time. Some of us are just surrendering this identity to you, God, that we've been trying to be someone else to be good enough to approach you. And that is just not the gospel. So Father, wherever we're at tonight, thank you for meeting us there. But may it not just be a moment that stays here, but goes outside these walls. Because we're not the only people who need to be set free. We got coworkers, we got family members, we got people that need the gospel, that need to be set free to know that it's not about how good you are, but it's about how faithful your son was, God. And so thank you for meeting us here. In Jesus' name, amen.